Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it bores you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Terra and Ventus to my Aqua. See, this is why you always pick first, so you can sneak in the best one, isn't it? I'm Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm Matt. But, uh, yeah, but anyways, I'm Jared. And today we are covering the prologue to Birth by Sleep. And... Oh. Boy. Yeah, basically, we're going to do everything up to the character selection. Oh, right. Oh, this is character this selection. Yep. RPG, RPGs are always best when they have character selection. I mean, I need to think of an example. Uh, Wild Arms. Wild Arms 1 through 3 has character selection. Part of Final Fantasy 6. Those are all prologue type things. Birth by Sleep is the one of the only JRPGs I can think of where your character selection affects the entire game. Kind of. Oh, uh, Saken 3. Saken to Sensu 3. Yeah, the, like... Okay, that is weird because like you still have these. It, it just affects the. That still just affects the intro part, though. But doesn't it change like it literally doesn't change part of the story in the final boss because there's like three segments. Yes, kinda, kinda. Mm. It's weird. Anyways, was, uh, uh, Alpha Games. I actually haven't played the games I have partly played as of, of current current recording. Yeah, you really need to go and finish the other routes that you haven't finished yet. But yeah. Uh. So yeah. Um. Let's talk about the structure of the game. Yeah, let's talk about the structure of the game, because Birth by Sleep is weird. Like, so as we were alluding to, Birth by Sleep has three separate uh, stories that are tackled in any order you want. However, these aren't just completely different uh, stories. This isn't this isn't live a live. Ha, found another one. Um, yeah, but this is uh, this is basically it's an interweaving story that you realize later. All the events always happen. Mm-hmm. So what do you say about live a live? I uh, know. I was just saying, live a live. Is, I, I okay. I haven't actually finished live a live. I started it like once way back when I was in college. I, I couldn't. I couldn't really get it, into its gameplay. It caused me. It's it, it's a bit strange, but yes. Now, I, now you I, have a more modern down. octopath traveler, but yeah. There you go. There you go. Man, we keep finding like, them. We keep finding them. Maybe it's not that weird. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, but okay. But do each of those games expect you to play all the routes in a in any order you want? And then, for some inexplicable reason, have them all have the same side content? Not the same <laughs> side content, but Live the Live does have a epilogue chapter. We're all going to have to point and laugh at John just because he's the one who decided to com- completionize this game. I'm the one who decided to completionize all these games. I'm the one who brought this on myself. Okay. I have no one to blame for this but myself. None of you, neither of you asked me to do this. None of the listeners asked me to do this, especially because at the time of this recording, we don't have listeners yet. <laughs> Boy, we are recording far in advance. Yes. Now, are we making completionize a word? Is that going to be a thing? I think it's already it's been a word. word. It's a yeah. word. It's a gamer term. Huh. Hashtag gamer terms. <sighs> oh, no. <laughs> Fortunately, these are better gamer words than the ones that we think of when we hear that, word, that term. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, there are no heated gamer moments on this podcast. I was reacting to hashtag being used. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what? So yeah, people, so people don't say hashtag out loud anymore. Am I, I, am, I, I am, am I a boomer on that regard? <laughs> I'm happy for the fact that I have never been up with current trends, so I'm just kind of my own weird thing, and I never feel like I'm getting older because I'm falling behind because I was always behind. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get back to talking about the game. We have three main characters because you know it's Kingdom Hearts, so you got to have three of something, and yep. they each have their own story where events are weaving in and out. Mm-hmm. And where you're going to the same worlds, but different events are unfolding at different times. So it all comes to the same finale. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of important to note that, like, 
each of the characters plays slightly differently and like it kind of affects the difficulty of the game in weird ways because uh, I would say like Tara is a very slow moving character who hits really hard. And I think he is probably one of the harder characters to play as just because he does not play like your typical Kingdom Hearts character. I can be kind of a big hits guy from time. I mean, for a short time, I was playing Brawl. Ike was one of my favorites to play. Uh, I'm not saying I'm necessarily the best at it, but it's, it, I, honestly, I can, I get more weary of lots of hits, weak characters instead because it feels like you're grinding more. There's a very <laughs> so, but so at the same time though, because Terra is not your typical Kingdom Hearts character, it feels pretty cumbersome. But at the same time, for the story to be satisfying. I think he has he's the character that you want to start with. Yeah. Yeah. But Tara is slow and it kind of also in the Homer Simpson, they called you slow way. <laughs> Oof. We'll get into that. So but we mentioned uh, the characters Terra, Ventus and Aqua at the beginning. They're the main characters of this game. Uh, they all start in the same place, though. They I, I don't think they exactly have the same backstory. Uh, they they the sa- share a similar backstory or at least part of it. Like they share a common connection is what I would say is the right way. But if, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so so basically we we get to follow each of them. They all know each other previously. And so the the three scenarios are kind of the story from their perspectives. Yeah. They don't really do like a Rashomon or anything like that. No, they don't. They, which kind of might have been cool. But well, they still they they still have some interesting different perspectives to of the same events. Rather than the Rashomon, you have the often tragic element where not everyone has all the information. In fact, right. people are missing it. So that leads to different understandings and different setup. Right. So the order we're going to cover them this season is what I consider the recommended play order. It's also, I think, Tessie Nomura's recommended play order. I look up lots of interviews. I can't find that one again, but I'm, almost, I'm pretty sure I heard him say, I read them say that. Yeah. So the order we're going to be doing is Terra, then Ventus, then Aqua. And coincidentally, that is more or less the order that they uh, have as they leave the starting area of the game. So I wonder if that's the reason why this is the most preferred way to go through the game, or I wonder if it's something else. (laughs) So one more note on this game structure. This is a prequel, like 358 days over two. Is that the right (laughs) way to say it? I keep forgetting. I say 358 over two days, but we did say no, that was like 358 days. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, something weird. Days. Let's just call it days at this point. We don't need to do much more. Let's just call it days. Damn it, Nomura. Much like days, this is a prequel. And one of the things that we know about it is the ending, because that big trailer that we got at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2 called Birth by Sleep, very much referring to this game. It is a scene from the end of the game. I don't feel like I'm spoiling much by saying that because the game is also written with the explicit knowledge that you, the player, know that it's the ending. Not to mention, as it, just again, much like all prequels that work, we do generally agree that this is a tragedy and we already mm-hmm. know th- most of that tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have been given the a preordained outcome of the story. It, I definitely think this game can qualify as a tragedy in the uh, literary sense. Well, very but, much so. We're going to get to see some characters with the absolute tragic flaws that lead to disaster. But we need to figure out who's going to be like who's going to be responsible and what error is going to happen there. And that's yep. what the tension is. 
Yep. There is a lot of characterization in this game. I would say this is probably the most character dense game that we've had. Which is ironic is as the fewest characters appear on screen, I'd argue, in some ways. You're not wrong. The world, the world is empty. But we should also mention just like kind of the theory of prequels is that uh, that, you know, John has mentioned. I totally agree with him about is that all good prequels are tragedies and know that they are tragedies. Yeah, I think I think Jared also was kind of saying that like but that is sort of like the our thesis statement for this entire season of Backlog Dialogues. And I'm hoping to convince you, the listener, of that as well. Well, we had. 358 Days, which is kind of like Kingdom Hearts 2.05. No, it's not 2.05. It's Kingdom Hearts 1.95. Oof. Okay. (laughs) Because it's before Kingdom Hearts 2. You can't say it's Kingdom Hearts 2.05 because it comes since it's before 2. Maybe 1.75. Well, the problem is it's more of a sequel to Chain of Memories than that than than one in that case. No, it's no, it's more of it. It's a co-sequel to Kingdom Hearts 1. Uh, with Chain of Memories, and it happens concurrently to Chain of Memories. Oh, God damn it, Nomura. It makes sense, just don't ask me to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of, of prequels, do we want to mention now what this most reminds of, or should we save that a bit? We'll save that a bit. Before we get into talking about the story, let's have do our usual thing at the start of one of these seasons where we talk about the gameplay of the game. So like Kingdom Hearts 2, Birth by Sleep minimizes the amount of platforming you have to uh, do. But it amplifies the choices you have in combat by implementing something it calls the command deck system. I believe 358 had a uh, days had a sort of version of this, but my understanding is this one's a lot different. This is the first one that's like really regarded well in my understanding of the fandom. I think days kind of did a similar thing, but it wasn't really nearly as well developed as it is in this one. The way this game works, along with your regular Kingdom Hearts, regular action attacks, uh, you also have a deck of special commands that are kind of like com- uh, cooldowns from MMO games. And though in another way, they're also a bit like Materia from Final Fantasy VII in that you can level them to make them stronger. Unlike Materia, these commands level up and achieve mastery extremely fast. And that is important. That is a major part of what, what this game's general flow is. Basically, these are everything from special attacks like we've seen before, like Strike Raid to Magic, like Fire, Blizzard, Cure, Kiraga. And even items can be attached to the list, so I almost never attached items. It just it wasn't worth it. No, the items are not that. Well, OK, there is one kind of item that is pretty dang useful in in uh, Birth by Sleep for one very specific reason. Ice cream, because ice cream puts you in command styles right away. We will talk about command styles in a bit. Though I'll also say the only reason I ever used ice cream is to try and get the special command style for, for completionism. Yep. This game. <laughs> And basically, almost anything that was like a special attack that you could equip in one or two, plus a few others, like they have things like flame dash, flame block, uh, and like also elemental attacks. And you can even have special dashes and glides and block right. and counters. And the way you get all of these things is you merge commands together. Every time you can master a command, you can also take it into the command menu and meld it with another command. You can also attach a special item to it to get a special ability on there. So... In order to get all the abilities in the game, you have to meld a lot of commands. Problem is, with that, for like lots of commands, you get a question mark. So you have to have like either a guide or find the right like uh, recipe items, which I never really found. So, yeah, in this case, for this game, whenever I was focusing on melding uh, commands, I used a online tool that let me see what potential results would be 
not only for what the commands I would get, but what abilities I would get for using the particular crystals that would give me abilities, because I do not want to waste my time getting yet another fucking uh, HP boost. <laughs> this game already wastes enough of my time. <laughs> or, you know, or another or another quick raid. And frankly, I get how this works here, but I kind of like building a deck of abilities. I don't like having to buy 10 of the same item, grind them, make them vanish. Materia grinding is actually one of the things I've always been least eager to revisit if I ever replay 7, for example. That, the Materia system in Final Fantasy 7 is the least interesting aspect of it, and it is the thing that makes me not rate Final Fantasy 7 as highly as Final Fantasy 8 or 9. Yeah, the melding in this one was was one of the systems that I don't feel really landed to for me at least. I mean, okay, I like the melding in this game insofar as I think it does a better job of letting you really experiment with these systems and giving you a lot of things to play around with. What I don't like about it is just how much it feels like you have to exploit the system in order to completionize it, which. Again, I'm going to be coming back to this multiple times before we get to the finale of this season. But completionizing this game is a nightmare. It is. I, I, okay, I, a bit of a spoiler alert. I have a toxic relationship with this game. That's the only way I can put it. Because <laughs> for everything that I love about it, there's also so many things that just make me go, Why? <laughs> So let's let's go on to a part of the game that I actually think landed much better than the command deck. So they pushed for a huge variety of in things that you can do during combat that aren't just picking things out of your command deck. Yeah. By adding things like shot locks and form weight changes and D links and essentially different resources that you can use for different kinds of super moves, which is kind of neat because a lot of your gameplay uh, starts to revolve around building up these resources and using the super moves, which is a lot of fun. And it turns out that it's so, one yeah. of the things they kept. And it's way more fun than waiting on your command deck cooldowns because you use that ability once it cycles out, you have to wait for it. Now, at the same time, uh, how you build your command deck will usually determine how your form changes go about. Each form change has a specific kind of command that it's looking for for you to use as you build up a special meter. You, so you can usually build your command deck to specifically go cycle through a series of commands that will give you the necessary charge to get the form changes that you want. So you can get to, say, Thunderstorm is the lightning one. And then after that, you want to get something like Blade Charge or one of your or Rhythm Mix or one of the really good ones rather than some of the shitty ones. When you hit a form change, like you, the, the, the game uses a reaction and then like your little character menu, the bomb left versus attack, gets a new title and a new style on it. Yep. And your character's movement changes, which in some cases makes them easy to move around and makes them really powerful, like Thunderstorm and Rhythm Mixer. And in some cases, it makes them not that great. Like, uh, see, let me use what's some good examples of not great. Gosh, what is that one that uh, Ventus has? Doesn't the ice one make you really floaty? No, the ice one doesn't do that. Diamond Dust isn't bad. Like It has a lot of floaty striking. All the level one elemental stuff is fine. Lightning is just better because it has the best AOE. Gosh, there's a level two one for for Ventus that you do not want to get because it is an absolute pain to use. It has a terrible finisher. It has terrible movement. It, I forget his name off the top of my head. We'll get it at some point in the series. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, I build my deck specifically around avoiding getting cyclone? that. Is it Cyclone? No, it's not Cyclone. Cyclone is fine. 
Is it Wing um, Wingblade? Wingblade is very good. I'm just going through a list right now. Let's just say the names of Ventus's level two ones. It's one of his level two ones, and I don't like it. It's is it Fever Pitch? Fever Pitch. There it is. That one's terrible. <laughs> anyway, think. Uh, sorry. Yeah, uh, Fever Pitch so, is that's that's also known as Speed Rave. I think that's actually his initial. Oh, OK, then it's not Fever Pitch. Give me the level two ones. <laughs> uh, like I said, Cyclone is what he gets for Trinity Armor. Wing Blades what he gets for fighting Metamorphosis. Uh, I don't see any of that specifically a Ventus only one. Yes, there is. Well, OK, there's I think he shares it with Aqua and it's also bad on Aqua. Aqua's got Ghost uh, Drive. <laughs> Terra and Aqua have Blade Charge. Ventus and Aqua have Sky Climber. Sky Climber, that's the one. Sky Climber is the worst. Hmm. Okay. Well, that uh, was that was well used time. Sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Shot locks, meanwhile, are uh, a different kind of super move. Uh, you can basically go into a kind of first person mode, uh, paint a cursor over a bunch of targets, put a little lock on on them, and then you launch that attack at them. With good timing, you get to do special things with that attack. I love shot locks. Shot locks are the most fun part about this game. By good timing, you mean like having a sufficient number of targets. Sufficient number of targets, pressing the button at the right time, uh, doing anything, doing whatever minigame the game asks you to do. Shot locks are great. It's a shame you have a limited amount of ability to use them. Yeah, and it is kind of the, the charge up on shot locks is the second worst charge up. What, what do you think is the worst? D-Links are probably D-Links. the worst, but D-Links are essentially special command decks based on other characters you mean in the story. They're kind of like a replacement for summons almost. Yeah. D-Links are kind of like special uh, form changes. Yeah. D-Links give you a different command deck and also will once you level up your D-Links, they give you special bonuses in combat. For example, Experiment 626 gives you the uh, CP up ability, which is the only reason why I use Stitch almost exclusively to anything else. CP being the level up currency for um, a command deck, of course. Yep. Uh, using using experiment 626 uh, and a de- full deck of commands that you want to level up, you can just go into one room in one of the final areas and just max everything out and then do a bunch of melding and just be done with all that in a matter of minutes. It's great. <laughs> yeah. But you don't have yeah. to interact with all of these systems really diligently, but you generally want to use these things when they come up to make encounters easier because they're cool. Yeah, full mastery of the systems is satisfying for some people. I know there is a sizable contingent of fans that swear it's the best of the series, not just for story, but also for gameplay. But again, like this is my favorite story in all Kingdom Hearts. I do not like this combat system. (laughs) Like it's not like a it's better than Chain of Memories. I will give it that. But the actual platforming aspects, the character movement are really weak in this game, even with the characters that control more like Sora does, which are Ventus and Aqua. The command deck system is really awkward and clunky to use in this game. Just don't completionize Birth by Sleep like John did, and you'll probably have fun with the systems. It's just a huge pain to just really completely engage with all the systems to a level of completionism in this game, especially for critical mode. Might be a little bit better for normal or proud mode. Oh, right. Because I hate myself and want me to suffer. I played this game on critical mode, which is not the same gloriously perfectly tuned action game that Kingdom Hearts 2's critical mode is. It's just difficult. I don't like it. 
Sometimes I'm worried that we're just kind of here to enable your self-destruction in video games. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Me, I just find myself struggling to get through it. Like I said, as of this recording, I'm not all the way through. And the gameplay isn't so much enraging me as it feels like a detriment. It feels like a weight that whenever I just want to keep going or just build things, I have to do a lot of busy work. I mean, I don't mind grinding, but this doesn't feel like grinding. This feels like just below that. Like I'm just being so mindless and empty there that everything is taking three times the length it should. And that's to try to level up. I mean, it took me until Aqua on my first playthrough of the game for me to really start to grok its systems and start enjoying it for what it is. But in the end, for the main game on this more recent playthrough, I enjoyed it a lot. And then I started to completionize it. Mm. We'll get to that later. Right now, yeah. I want to talk about the yeah. story. Yeah, we have a we have a game story to discuss, even if we're just going to uh, go into just the setup now. Yeah, yeah. Like, so let's get started. The opening music video does not give us a new song, even though unlike the uh, previous spinoff games, this is a new Kingdom Hearts game. So I think it should have a new, its own theme song, but instead it gets simple of clean. Maybe it's the mobile console is on. This is Kingdom Hearts Zero. This is not like a weird little interquel. It is it is legitimately a full game on its own. It has new Disney worlds. It has a whole bunch of new things. Why does it not get its own theme song? And the yeah, story recontextualizes everything that we've seen up till now again. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely the most ambitious of all of the portable Kingdom Hearts games. I would say it even even still it's the most ambitious of them. I would agree with that. It's like it it is punching above its weight for a PSP game. And so it's and it's asking for a lot of risk by going to a completely new set of characters. Mm-hmm. And going to a prequel, that means you're really asking everyone to start over mentally on this. Yeah. But in any case, the opening music video uses Simple and Clean, and it focuses on three new young friends who also happen to be the characters we saw in the Birth by Sleep trailer at the end of Kingdom Hearts. In fact, it even uses most of the footage from that trailer. Yeah, we, we there's kind of two phases of, of footage that keeps cutting back and forth. There's all sorts of scenes from that get from that uh, Birth by Sleep battle. And then it just shows scenes of the three of them in what I would almost call civilian gear, except it still has pieces of armor on all of them, just sort of relaxing and interacting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that this opening makes it very clear that you were very much intended to have seen the Birth by Sleep trailer. If you had not seen it in game, you were at least expected to have seen it on the Internet at some point. I mean, it, it very much has the cutting of an anime opening and that's introducing the characters, like showing their events and elements. Mm-hmm. It does. It really has some like compositing tricks, of course, like yeah. using, Kulish, using Kuleshov effect tricks to make things interact. And so we talked about the staircase run in Kingdom Hearts 2's opening movie that was sort of like retelling Chain of Memories by showing Sora going up the stairs and Riku going down the stairs on the opposite side of them. Um, and there's a similar kind of trick that this opening uses where it shows... Uh, Hera and Ventus uh, running down separate hallways from each other and uh, doing a very similar kind of thing. It's really cool. I like this opening a lot. Yeah, the camera corkscrews in front of them. So you see it like like they're twisting, going upside down. Um, if you're familiar with Marvel, I talk. I mentioned the throne room scene in Black Panther for how the character is spinning with the uh, frame as well. Mm-hmm. And so it goes from terror in what looks like a white zone of Castle Oblivion. And then when it twists to the point where it goes through the ground, it then switches to Ventus running through a black... Uh, void with screens of what looks like like uh, cutscenes of playing through him like, down a hallway. The trailer is just has a theme of switching between 
showing the characters unarmored, having emotional connections or separations, then switching to the disastrous fight of the secret trailer, just showing it as a result of everything that's been happening. There's also a star theme because each of them have like this little stained glass uh, pendant, which will become important soon. Mm-hmm. Of different colors, and then it's a, and as everything hits the end, we see them all fall into darkness. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes that point of this thing knows it's a prequel, it knows it's a tragedy, mm-hmm. because obviously we know the result in Kingdom Hearts one and two. These characters don't exist, so they somehow have to disappear. But by the end of this story. We know they're all going to fall into some terrible fate. Based on what we see of them, some fates must be different than others. Yes. And the movie ends with the young blonde kid who... We've said their names repeatedly. We've said their names repeatedly. This is Ventus. Shatter through a dive to the heart stained glass window and turn into a shooting star across the sky of Destiny Islands, where a young Sora and Riku sit watching. We've never seen a dive to the heart break. Even when uh, Twilight Thorn was, was tipping it upside down and throwing it at Roxas, it still stayed intact and undamaged. But this breaks into, into basically dust. Yep. So, let's start on Destiny Islands, because why not? It's where the song ended, so we gotta start. Yeah, yeah. I really do what's important about this place, though. Like, so, I if it's just the place that Sora and Riku are from... Did I forget Kyrie? I forgot Kyrie. Shit, how could I forget Kyrie? <laughs> It's the place that Sora, Riku, and Kairi are from. Kairi's not from there. Shit, you're right. Kairi isn't even here yet at this point in the story. Okay, that's fine. I can forget Kairi. Nomura did too. Ugh, you actually beat that joke and I still groaned at it. Ext- extremely Riku voice. You just don't care enough about Kairi. <laughs> Nomura has nightmares of that scene. Gosh. You're just, hang- you're just hanging out with your new friends, Nomura. <laughs> oh god is Riku Nomura's subconscious just yelling at him for forgetting about Kairi is it funny if that's subconscious or if that's Nojima look you gave me these characters can I please write with them uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway on the beach of Destiny Islands there is a young man with tan skin white hair dressed in all black he stands on the beaches looking out at the sunset and the first thing he says is this world is just too small. And the second thing he says, might as well have been, I'm your next Final Fantasy villain. Because <laughs> good God, that appearance and that line. Mm-hmm. I just really like it because it's a fun reprise of Riku's motivations from the first Kingdom Hearts, but for a very different reason. But we don't know much about this person, but we do get to see as the sun sets, time passes. His form changes to wearing a poop gas cloak. Because those have always been around. Yes. And he is seen holding something under his left arm. Let's be clear. It is very much intended to, for you to assume that this is the same person that was standing on the beach. It's cut to look that way. So we see him carrying this thing to Riku's brooding aisle. Riku hasn't put up his sign yet, so... We get a small glimpse of the lower jaw of this hooded person, who appears to be older now, even with a white shinpuff beard. And we see a glimpse of something or someone in the white sheet he's holding. It appears to be a kid of some some kind. Oh, this this seems wholesome. And then, unexpected to to anyone, we get to hear Leonard Nimoy. Ah, Leonard Nimoy. You have a fascinating fascinating history of voice roles. And here he is saying, There, you see? An empty world, like a prison. I imagine you will be right at home. 
Leonard Nimoy, when he says stuff, you got to listen, even if he's being a dick. Camera pans from the feet to the face of this kid, and we see Sora, Roxas, someone. We don't know who for sure. We don't fully see his hair, but he looks closer to Roxas. And we really can't see his outfit either, as I recall. From there, a dive to the heart starts. But this one's different. Yep. It is a voiceless text box talking to the sheep boy, I think. Or is it the sheep boy talking to the I forget. Well, basically what happens. I forget who's talking to who, but yeah. (laughs) But what's worth noting is the platform is completely blank, shining white. And Mm -hmm. something took a bite out of it. But we get a good look at sheep boy now. And he falls through the through the water of the heart, descending slowly and fully revealing a shirtless Roxas, quote unquote. His chaps are placed by more sensible silver poofy pants, and he has metal shoes instead of Roxas sneakers. So he looks like Roxas, but is he Roxas? Hmm. Ookie. <laughs> so do we hear his voice? Because the, the, the boxless uh, text does not speak, but do we hear his voice talking? Uh, I think we do. I think we do. But but anyways, like whoever it is, is he's it's, it's a voice reaching out to this boy. The words that appear on the screen that do not have a voice associated with them say that I am a brand new heart. So the the kid, so the boy is asking why this voice is in his heart, who says okay. that the that he saw a light in it. The 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 voice says that they saw a light and they came to it. Yep. Yep. The, this voice followed the light, and apparently, the light was Ventus's light, and his heart is fractured, and we see. As we were saying, that the dive to the heart is a complete white pain with a large chunk taken out of it. And he says how he's clearly slipping away. Whatever he has left is disappearing. And the and voice says that he should join hearts. Huh? <laughs> That's weird. And then with just those words and and the boy's confused response, the dive to the heart just sort of rebuilds. Like you see it kind of fill in bit by bit, like, like, like sand pouring into it. And these words appear on the screen. Now our hearts have touched. Nothing else will slip away. And one day, you'll be strong enough to win back the part that already did. Anything notable about the the stained glass that reappears in this one? I think it's still blank. Oh, it's still blank. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't fill with color until after the next part. And his response is, uh, right, thanks. Yep. (laughs) So he's as confused as we are. It's time to wake up now. All we need to do is open the door. Yep. It's oh boy, we're already in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> and then that bleed the pain fills in at this point, like it changes. So yep. we see this we see this Roxas kid looking again. Yep. And we notice his outfit. If you've been paying attention to games up till now, we will actually recognize it. This is a character that we saw briefly in days when Zigbar was ranting about Xion looking like him. And he just seems annoyed by it. It's like, why? It, well, it, it, what, how if ever annoyed Zegbar looks when he's always insisted on being amused at everything. Mm-hmm. So this, it's like one of the few times that Zigbar kind of loses his composure a little bit and drops the the, you know, I'm I'm more clever than everyone act. And yet he still laughs at himself for it. So, <laughs> yeah, we and then and they said the kid looks like Roxas in the outfit. His clothes aren't quite as full of random accessories, but he still has a black white motif. And his like he's kind of got like a bit of he's wearing like an arm guard and his shoes look like more metallic. Yeah, there's a lot more metal imagery going on on this quote unquote Roxas. Yeah, he's the one that wears the the weird pauldron, right? Yeah. 
We also see that the symbols around him on his stained glass window include star-shaped charms of various colors and strange arrow-type pattern thingies that point inwards. Like a heart cross or something. Yeah, yeah, like a heart cross. That's a good way of putting it. Either is either that, or you imagine a little flexing muscle guy with no feet. But right <laughs> now, so, now, now let's see you shoot that image out. With that scene done, we get we get a quick look back at the brooding island. Yeah, we still get a good look at the old man, but he clearly is kind of old and hunch. Mm-hmm. Kind of as he's leaving, as he's leaving our sheep boy behind. Yep, the sheep boy's arm raises up to the heavens. The old guy turns around, gives a delighted. Ah, as the sheep boy summons a keyblade. I don't know why he's excited about this. He's looking pretty evil when he's excited about it. But the keyblade <laughs> is shooting light and hits something in the sky. And we just again, we just we kind of have the fade out as we're seeing the eyes of our sheep boy with the with the light reflecting in it. Mm-hmm. And then we clearly see time pass. We find our new youth on a bed in an unknown place. He looks out the window from his room at the night sky and sees several shooting stars. He rushes out with joy to see the meteor shower. We get the name of the world he lives in. Land of Departure. It's tutorial time! We control this kid on a little run to the castle in the Land of Departure, and we get to learn how this game controls and plays. Like jump up on the platform, try dashing here, you know, basic stuff. Hit this training dummy. So this kid... Unlike Sora, who sort of holds his keyblade two handed like a broadsword and Broxus, who has his more. Gosh, what was Broxus's style? He held it. He sort of held it hanging in one hand while he was holding a standard long sword that wasn't as heavy. Right. And of course, his and of course, his two hand style. Yeah. And so this kid, for some reason, has a keyblade that is perfectly designed to be held backhanded. Yep. And, and that is how he wields keyblades is backhanded. Like with the blade literally going down his arm past his elbow, which I think that's a good defensive form. But I feel like using it attack form means he has horrible range. So I don't think the game really plays with that. No, it doesn't. And at the very least, it is clearly designed to further separate this kid's identity from Roxas, even though he looks like Roxas. Anyway, that name of that keyblade is the Wayward Wind. Trivia. Clearly, the Caraventus and Aqua have a earth, wind, and uh, and and water theme going on. I've often heard it called land, sea, sky for that for that tri- uh, trio of elements. With that, after all the tutorial stuff is done, the kid makes it to the summit and gets a good view of the meteor shower. And this scene we are going to do. Because Ventus uses the same voice as Roxas, Matt is going to be reprising his role there. Jared's doing Terra because uh, I feel like I'm the only one who can up their voice enough to do aqua okay <laughs> we promise we're not trying to mock female voices with this yes yes so i kind of see uh ventus as a more light-hearted and innocent version of roxas so yeah that's anyway right. uh ventus runs up the summit and looks up at the stars wow he lays on the ground with the arm behind his head and just watching the shooting stars while lying on the grass why does this seem so familiar? He promptly falls asleep. He wakes up, kind of looks at town. He yawns, stretches that way back, and there's a girl looking right at him from two inches away. Yep, she has sort of a mid-length pixie cut type blue hair. Whoa. Give me a break, Aqua. Ben, you hopeless sleepyhead. You know, you should have at least brought a blanket. But 
Did I dream that place up? It really felt like I'd been there before. Looking up at the stars. Except you've always lived here with us. Yeah, I know. Aqua? Hmm? You ever wonder what stars are? Where light comes from? Hmm. Well, they say... That every star up there is another world. Terra. Yep. Hard to believe there are so many worlds out there besides our own. The light is their hearts, and it's shining down on us like a million lanterns. What? I don't get it. In other words, they're just like you, then. What does that mean? You'll find out someday, I'm sure. I want to know now. You're too young to know now. <laughs> Quit treating me like a kid. <laughs> hey, what are you laughing at? I can't help it. You two would make the weirdest brothers. Huh? Huh? Oh, yeah. Tara, you and I have our mark of mastery exams tomorrow. I made us good luck charms. She pulls out three star-shaped charms on thread. Then she has them nice and color-coded. Tara gets the red one. Here. And Ventus catches one. I got one, too. And she holds out her own blue one. Of course. One for each of us. They hold them together like to compare. Yeah. Somewhere out there, there's this tree with star-shaped fruit. And the fruit represents an unbreakable connection. So long as you and your friends carry good luck charms shaped like it, nothing can ever drive you apart. You'll always find your way back to each other. Technically, I think you're supposed to make them with seashells, but I did the best with what I had. Oi, sometimes you are such a girl. Hey, what do you mean sometimes? So this isn't a real good luck charm? Well, that's yet to be seen. But I did work a little magic on it. Really? What? An unbreakable connection. Well, tomorrow's the exam. Anybody want to spar? So, before we get on to the sparring, quick character discussion. Character well, discussion of appearance and behavior. And the scene as well. I'm still amused that the Paupu fruit thing keeps coming up, but it clearly changes context depending on who's telling the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still pretty close. That was the... I, I, all we know is sure is that Riku may it sound vaguely romantic. It still has the same effect here, apparently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ventus is remarkably naive. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about these character designs, because Nomura had some fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, certainly he bragged that he put him in armor in the original gathering because he had no idea what they would look like. He definitely got over that block. Yep. I mean, we might as well start with Aqua, because... But yeah, I regret to point out that Aqua has the horniest character design in Kingdom Hearts. It's simultaneously inspired and cringe. Which is funny, because I can't really say it's really sexualized. It's just in this weird combination of things. You notice it a lot more when you are playing as her, because <laughs> you are constantly looking at her back. <laughs> back, yes. Which is open. Yeah, I really yeah. think that Aqua is probably the best female protagonist that Nomura has done. He has a little yes. bit of a weakness with them, but Aqua is actually pretty well done. The Aqua wears kind of like, like almost skin tight leather looking like um, I almost would call it a bustier. It ties up on the top and in the back, but there's barely more than a couple straps there. Mm -hmm. She wears a it looks like it would be like a wraparound coat or cloak around around her midsection, except that it's completely open to back. She's just wearing these two fabric tails over bike shorts, which yep. are either part of the leather outfit. Yep. Um, she has a pair of belts crisscrossing over her chest. 
And she has like high boots. They aren't particularly high heeled, thank God for that, but they appear to have huge blades up by the ankle. Yep. And she has detached sleeves, detached white sleeves that start right above her elbow. Aqua's an incredible character. She's one of my absolute favorites in all the Kingdom Hearts. But this character design is why women complain about video game character designs. <laughs> and I don't even think it's particularly maliciously des- um, intentioned here. This isn't it, in Metal Gear Solid 5 with the you must have all your. Yeah, it's not that. It's, it's no Nomura weirdness hitting a weird combo. Like, I mean, even for Nomura at the time, who like like the other games that he was designing characters for at the time were like, this is, yeah, this is pretty close to Final Fantasy 13. None of the characters in Final Fantasy, none of the female characters in Final Fantasy 13 have a design this weird. But, they, but what I see in those characters seems a little bit more appeal design, too. Yeah, like, I I kind of don't know what happened here. She's a great character. It almost seems like a lot of different pieces were put together. It might, unfortunately, be a little bit of push and pull between Disney not wanting things to be too horny and the anime character design desire to make things kind of horny. I mean, she's she's got her boots go into what look like either length of boots or stockings that go up to about mid thigh. So it's the old Japanese absolute territory meme. Mm-hmm. Like I said, and like I said from behind, like I said, you see her, you see her back and rear completely. Though at least she's wearing the shorts for the, for the uh, rear. Maybe they were worried about the fact that Ki- they thought Kingdom Hearts was a series for boys and that girls wouldn't be interested. But as far as I can tell, it seems like it has a pretty healthy female player fan base that mostly likes the guys. With other guys, like, like it's not what I call revealing her outfit's a little skin tight, but it's not really designed in a way that she looks exaggerated or crazy with it. But it is about as revealing as you can get in a G rated story. It's not a booba costume at the very least. It is definitely not a booba costume. <laughs> Let's talk about Tara. <laughs> Tara dresses like a mix between trying to be a old fashioned samurai and a guy who's showing off in a muscle shirt at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not wrong. It's like uh, Aqua's leather thing, but only even tighter, I would argue. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's wearing this big, poofy Hakama. Yep. If you're not familiar, those are like big pleated pants that you will see in like samurai fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really baggy. And while Aqua have like a small bit of metal, like a piece of armor on her detached sleeve, Tara's got just this big, this big piece running all the way down his left arm. Mm hmm. It goes all the way into like the gauntlet he's wearing on only one hand. Mm-hmm. Apart from the character designs, what else can we say about these characters? My first impression is that they have instantly charming chemistry. Like this oh, yeah. character trio was thought out. Yeah. I mean, Aqua, she's got all the big sis energy. While Ventus is obviously the little kid who they tease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Tarek seems slightly oblivious. Yeah, he's a bit of a dopey big brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He kind of has a strong, you know, quiet type energy going on a little bit. But yeah. And he speaks a little flat, like he's trying to be very calm at all times. It's almost like he's trying to show off that he's mature. Yep. So for the final part of the tutorial, Ben and Tara get to have a sparring match. But for that part, we get to be Tara. And everyone else has a sparring match, too, because you could actually infinitely switch these around and, and fight different ones with different ones if you want to do more sparring. True. Um, after we learn a little bit about defense and finishing moves, Aqua steps up to teach about uh, shot locks. We get to be Aqua for that. Like this, this is sort of the big introducing to you that this game is going to have multiple playable characters, letting you get a feel of for how each character feels before you pick a character to start with. 
it, there's there's lots of little dialogue if you lose or win with each character against each other one. I can't say anything that really sticks out. It's just kind of amusing they thought of all those little bits. Mm-hmm. Final bit of tutorial that we get is about the command board, which is something that I'll probably talk way more about in completion episode. But <laughs> just know that it is a way to get uh, some pretty broken commands early on. Without the mini games. Well, no, this is the mini game. This is the mini game. Right. I would say how Mario Party has the game board and you have all the little side games inside it is what I mean. I'd rather play Mario Party. (laughs) I can't disagree with that. I never actually played it, really. Um, Anyway, yeah, the game lets you do as much sparring as you like. And the three friends head back for the night. Miyako stops. She stares up the stars and she makes a promise like we're going to be together always hmm and, and then yes. then then the narration kicks in with all three of them yep do we want to all go at once nah i say just go for it okay that would be the last night we spent beneath the same stars and so let's jump from that bit on this foreshadowing to mickey surfing on a great big book because he's a sorcerer's apprentice yep <laughs> yep he has no brooms though it's not going well for him he ends up in a whirlpool well, part of the Fantasia, but the brooms have kind of vanished for a while. We just see it to focus on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of sad we don't get that song playing because I love that piece. The water vanishes. Mickey's back in Yedson's room. Yeah. Which makes you wonder exactly what happened because it's more like he woke up from a dream rather than Yedson fixed anything. Yeah. It's weird and kind of not well explained. But. Hey, it's Mickey. <laughs> it's Mickey. <laughs> it, it just remind, just in case you were worried that this Kingdom Hearts game didn't have enough Disney in it yet. Yen Sid probably just discovered that a Kingdom Hearts game started. Yep. I mean, let's let's compare it to one where we had to constantly switch between Sora's and the Adventure of the Islands to Donald and Goofy doing shtick. Mm-hmm. So we got kind of a theme here. Yep. And that is everything in the it, prologue. They said, yeah, they figured out it was a Kingdom Hearts game. So, yeah. <laughs> Yep. And once, once that scene concludes, we get character select screen, which means that's where we're stopping for this. Yep. We pick our f- starting character, which will be Tara, the person who makes even worse life decisions than Riku. I know what you're thinking, but seriously, he does. Riku started f- fixing his shit at least a little bit by the end of Kingdom Hearts 2. So obviously uh-huh. we need a new bad decisions man. We mean, yeah, we mean, well, here's the thing. This happens before all of that. So, <laughs> yep. Well, in any case. I'm John. I'm Jared. And I'm Matt. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. Jared is going to be Terra because... He's terrible. No. No, I don't... No, don't do that. No self-deprecating humor. Because I thought you were just mad about the pun. Nope.